Well, I want to welcome you back to our, our study that we began the last couple of weeks here in the book of Ephesians. And we've entitled this series, Nooks and Crannies. And so we've entitled that because Ephesians makes the claim that God is bringing all things in heaven and on earth under one head, under one ruler, under one authority, and that's Jesus. And that Jesus is over all, all things are under his feet, he is head over everything, and that he fills everything. And that word everything is used repeatedly through this book, that everything in every way, there is no nook or cranny of this universe that Jesus is not over. And so as we walk through this book, we are pausing section by section to just ask ourselves the question, what is this nook and cranny that Jesus is ruling over here? And so we're going to look at that today. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the end of chapter 1 in Ephesians, your Bible app. It'll be on the screen here for you as well. And so with each section as we've gone through this, uh, for me, I've tried to find a word that maybe uh, helps me to remember and to focus in on the theme of that, cha- of that section uh, for each day. And last week, we, we looked at verses 3 through 14 under the umbrella of the word worth. The first nook and cranny that Jesus fills is not some place way out there. As you begin to read Ephesians, the first nook and cranny that Jesus fills is your soul. Is that deep part of you that hungers for worth, that hungers to be valued. And in this beautiful long sentence, Paul praised God for blessings that come to us in Christ and that fill our hearts with an unmatchable and sustaining worth. Because we are chosen, we are adopted into him, we are redeemed in him, we are forgiven in him, we are included in God's plans and God's wisdom in the world in him, we are appointed to play a part in what God is doing in the world through him, and that we are sealed for a glorious future that he is bringing to his people in Christ. And so the word worth, I hope, helped you this week as you maybe went through some things. And today we move to the last part of chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23. And I wrestled for a long time with what word to choose for this passage. For a while, I was confident that I was going to use the word uh, confident. Actually, I was confident in that, um, ironically. Um, And I I, I thought I was going to go with that until about Thursday, Friday. And and I was just thinking of uh, of another word that I saw it. And I I thought, maybe that's the word that we're going to go with. And so I went with it. And it's a word that I don't use very often. Um, Maybe you do because you're smarter than I am. But this is the word. It's the word poised. Um, The word poised. Um, When I see that word, um, there's a certain picture that comes to my mind, at least. and, And I don't know about you, but what is the word poised mean? What does it look like when you live with poise? Um, I snapshotted a couple of definition pictures. This is what poise means. It means having a composed and self-assured manner. And so you you know poised, right? You know people who who live with poise, maybe handle situations with poise. Somebody else defined it this way, that that if you're poised, you're self-possessed and in full control of your faculties, you're balanced, grounded, and ready for action. A poised person exhibits composure and self-assuredness, which comes in handy, for instance, during a job interview, giving a public talk or debate or playing sports, and the list could go on and on, where poise is a valuable trait. 
And so the opposite of the word poised, as I tried to flush this out and think, well, what's the opposite of poised? In my mind, it's the word flustered. All right, you ever get flustered? All right, you get, things are going bad for you and you just get flustered with your day. And so I just want us to think today as we read this prayer of Paul of how Jesus, not only does he bring worth to our soul, but I think he fills us with a level of poise, and we'll define that, I think you'll see that as we go here, that helps you to be able not only to feel worth internally, but as you deal with life, as you deal with the stuff that comes at you, uh, there's a level of calmness, there's a level of confidence and poise that I think that following Jesus ought to produce within our life. Um, for example, let me define this. In my, I was trying to think of what areas do I get most flustered in, and I made a list. Parenting rises to the top quickly, right? As a parent, I oftentimes feel and act flustered. You ask my children about it, it's not pretty, all right? Being flustered is not the best me. It is oftentimes the times I regret, I have to apologize for, um, don't always handle that. Um, some of you know I like to referee basketball games, or I referee it. I don't know if I like to referee it. I think I like to referee basketball games. And there are moments when I am less poised and I am more flustered, and that is the less version of me. That is a poorer version of me. In my marriage, there are times when stressful things come along and situations arise, and, and I have to choose whether I'm going to carry myself in a poised way or a flustered way. I won't tell you which one wins, but you can ask my wife, and it's not the one that I wish would win a lot more than it does. Stressful days, right? You just have things kind of pile up on you. Um, the dog's sick, dog dies, the house breaks down, the car's stuck, with transmission goes out. You can make a long list of just your bad days, and it's in those moments you have to really wrestle to think, am I going to be poised? Am I going to carry myself in a certain way here, or am I going to allow the stress and the pressure of the moment to just fluster me? And get me to be my worst part of my life. And so um, I'm going to show you a video here. There, there's a guy I, I saw a couple of years ago, and I've kind of followed him. And his name is uh, Jimbaya Sands, and he lives in Australia. And he's an acrobat. He's a gymnast. And so he does all these things. And, and, but I show it to you because as you watch this, I just want you to think, if you ever come to a fence and you try to climb over a fence, do you always look poised when you're trying to climb over a fence? I don't. I usually am very flustered because I'm stuck on things and my legs stuck up there and all kinds of things. But, but watch this video. This just kind of shows you what poise looks like as he walks over these fences. All right, that's poise right there, right? As, as you watch him do that, different things, and always lands on his feet, and, and it goes on and on. And if you watch his other things, there's a, a, a video where he's walking in a tree, and he like falls, hits a branch, and then lands on his feet and just keeps walking like normally. He's got another video where he does all these flips and ends up sitting perfectly in the car. And, and it, there's, a, there's a blooper reel of all the times he messes up. But the final product is, is this, this person of, of poise who, who always looks like he's in control and nothing seems to bother him. And, and so that's the picture. And, and I don't mean that just independently of, of your faith. What I mean as we look at this prayer of Paul today is that if your life is a fence, or it's a tree, or a car, or whatever it may be, how are you doing at facing those things? Paul's prayer, as he moves into this part of Ephesians, is that every follower of Jesus would live a life of poise. And, and I would differ with the definition I posted up there a minute ago. There is that self-assurance, 
But I think as a person of faith, there's also a savior assurance. There's a, there's a God assurance that's more important than that kind of fills in that sense of, well, I, I can do this because, not because I'm good, but because, boy, God is good and God's got me. And so this prayer that Paul prays today is all about the poise and the confidence that God wants us to live from and to live in and to demonstrate in how we deal with the world around us. And so listen to what the book of Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, says to us. It says this, uh, for this reason, and just, just for to define that real quickly, remember what we just said, all the list of blessings that Paul listed in verses 13, 3 through 14, all the incredible things God has done for us in Christ. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. One of my favorite things before we go on here is just whenever you meet someone of, of great spiritual um, maturity or achievement, if I could use that word, um, I always love to know what do they pray for? How do they do that? Where does that come from in their life? And, and, and I think oftentimes when you begin to hear what they pray for, their prayers maybe sound different than mine. And it's like a teaching thing for us. And so one of the beautiful parts of this is that Paul, this incredible Christian, one of the most successful Christians ever in history, who made such an incredible impact, were given a glimpse into what he prayed for. And I want you to listen to what he prays for. Going on to verse 17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We used the phrase last week that Paul opens our eyes to our blessing. And now Paul, kind of in this passage, continues with that theme of, of I pray that God would give you a spirit. May his spirit work with your spirit to begin to open your eyes, to open your life, to open your mind, more importantly, your heart, that ultimately the goal is that you would know him better. And that in knowing him better, there's some fruit that's going to begin to grow in your life. And that goes on in verse 18 to talk about that. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know three things that he prays that they would know clearly, that they would know the hope to which he has called you and that you would know the riches and see the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and that you would know his incredibly great power for us who believe. Now, if I was to ask you the question, when you feel flustered, when I feel flustered, I tend to feel hopeless. I tend to feel like I don't have much of a future and I got to fight for my future because I don't know what's going to happen to me in the future, and I don't feel very powerful. I feel powerless, and so I kind of have to act in irrational and silly ways in order to try to manipulate the situation. But what is Paul doing there? Paul prays that as believers in Christ, that their eyes would be open to this thing that they have available to them in Christ. There's hope, and there's incredible inheritance, and there's this power available to them in Christ. And, and I could probably stop the sermon now and say, you know what, if you were to live every day this week with a biblical Christ-centered hope in every situation... And, and if I was to live every situation with this full assurance that no matter what happens to me, my soul is secure because I have this incredible inheritance in Christ. And no matter what I face, there's this power available to me that can help me be who I need to be and regardless of what's going on, I dare say 
that you would find a greater level of poise, of confidence, uh, of stability, of stableness going on in my life. And so Paul prays those things for these believers, and then he, he really latches on to the, the power that's available to these Christians, because in the verse that follows, he begins to unpack that. He says, that power, and we say, well, where do I see this power? What does this power look like? Well, this is what it looks like. This power is the same as the mighty strength God's power that he exerted, he works when he raised Christ from the dead, not only raising him from the dead, but seating him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So if you don't know what this power is, it's this power that took a dead man, brought him back to life, not only did that, but it allowed him to send to heaven where he sits in the throne room of heaven at God the Father's right hand. And he goes on to describe it even more about what Jesus is doing now. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And then he finishes with this beautiful little doxology part in verse 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I just want to ask you this morning the question, are those realities, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you allowing those treasures that are yours in Christ to influence and to fill your heart, building on top of that worth that you have in Jesus and allowing you to be able to respond to the world around you with a hope and with trust in your inheritance and with the power that's available to you in Christ to be able to be who you need to be in those moments. Now, Paul's prayer here, if, uh, if you ever read the book uh, of 2 Kings, you read about some of the great prophets in the Old Testament. There was Elijah, and then Elijah came and went, and there was a man who followed him named Elisha. And there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6 that, is, that kind of illustrates a little bit of this reality that Paul is praying for. In 2 Kings 6, Elijah and one of his servants are, are in this city, and Elijah hasn't, uh, has done some things that haven't set well with a foreign king. And so the foreign king gathers up all of his soldiers and travels to the town where Elijah is, is residing with his servant. And they surround the town. And so the servant wakes up in the morning and he walks out the door and he sees this army that has surrounded them. And if I, there was an army that was outside your front door tomorrow morning, you, the natural response to that would be fear. Uh, like, okay, they, we know we've offended them probably. And so there's this sense of fear that they had. And, and so when the servant goes to Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, and, and says, hey, there's an army out here. They want to kill us. Um, I'm afraid of that. Verse 16, Elisha says this to him, these interesting words. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And that's a weird phrase because if you're the servant, you're sitting there doing the math. Like Elisha, me, there's two of us and there's a whole army of them, right? Count them. I can't take off my shoes to count all of them. There's a whole army out there. I, your math is wrong, Elisha. But Elisha then prays uh, this. God opened his eyes. Verse 17 says, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so what did the servant see? He saw what Elisha saw. And so Elisha was poised. He was not afraid in this situation versus the servant who simply saw the, the threat of the army, but he didn't see the reality of God in his life and what God was providing and was doing that, that there was not just the foreign army, 
But the Lord has his army and his forces and his influence in the battle as well. And so Elisha's prayer, God opened his heart to see this, opened his eyes to see this. I think that very much echoes what Paul is praying for the Ephesians and what he prays for us. That God would open our hearts to see the reality of the truths of what, if Christ is indeed reigning where Paul says he is, if he is indeed raised from the dead and has been seated at the right hand of God, then that reality ought to influence my day in, day out approach to the things in my life. There ought to be a sense in which, you know what, I can have a calmness about me, I can have a confidence about me, I can have a, a poise about me that influences the stress of my life, that influences the hard things of my life, that influences those difficult days. And again, it doesn't make them go away, but it allows me to be a stronger, more poised person in the midst of them. And so if, if we could really see the hope of our calling, imagine the Christ-centered optimism that could fill our life. And if we could really see the riches of our inheritance, imagine the contentedness that would fill your heart. And if you could really see the power of God towards those he loves, imagine the fearlessness that could fill your life. You wouldn't be afraid to try those things that you know you really want to try for the Lord. You wouldn't be afraid um, when hard things came because you knew this power was at work in your life. And so I'll summarize it this way. I think what God wants in this passage and what Paul is praying for us and as he did for them is that God simply wants to unite you with reality. That God wants to unite you with reality. And now you and I think we live in reality. That yeah, God, I see the forces and I see the bills and I see the doctor's report and I see the stress and I see the list of things that have to be done and I see that I can't get them all done. I see all those things and I think, well, that's reality. But Paul is asking us to have a heart that is open to see a bigger reality. That yes, those things are true. There's hard things in life. But there's a hope that you have. There's an inheritance that you have. And there is a power that you have in Christ. That oftentimes we don't take the time to equate or bring into the equation or factor into the equation when we're figuring out, well, how am I going to respond today? And so too often we respond with a franticness um, instead of a poised attitude. And so let me just quickly here, I'm gonna, we've talked about these already in a way, but just let me remind you, where does poise come from? Paul says that poise comes, number one, from our hope. Poise comes from our hope. Um, again, that simple idea that God is calling those of us who are in Jesus, those of you who have surrendered yourself to Jesus, that God called you in the past to get you to this place. And God's calling, God's invitation got you on the path with Jesus. But hope says that that's not the end of the story. Hope says a day is coming when he will call you home. And so what you are now is you have been called, you are waiting, and there's this day coming when all the stuff in between is forgotten and he calls you home. And so there's this glorious hope that we have that we live in. I love what Romans 15 verse 13 says about hope. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Where does joy and peace come from? Knowing that I am right with God. I am right with the most important being in the universe. And there's a joy that comes that he loves me. He cares about me. He has adopted me as his child. He has equipped me. He is working in my life. Joy and peace. And this joy and peace as you trust in him. There's our part. I got to trust him. So that 
you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what that verse seems to say is that as you and I go through life, that when I'm interacting with people, oftentimes our franticness demonstrates our hopelessness. But what a different person I would be. What a, I wish I would be this more. If I would face those stressful things or those hard things, not with a franticness, but with a poise that comes from hope. And that people would say, man, how do you be, how do you be so calm in stressful times? I've got this hope. This hope that nothing here can touch. And so there's this beautiful hope that you and I have. So poise number two comes from our inheritance. Uh, this conviction that all that we have received in Christ was glorious, that it is rich. And really, as you go through life, you can, there's all kinds of different wealth, right? There's material wealth and relational wealth. But the Bible talks about spiritual wealth. And the Bible says that the most important wealth isn't material wealth, it isn't, I don't know, whatever kind of wealth you want to put in there, but it's spiritual wealth. And Peter defines that for us in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, when he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, there's hope again, right, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never what? Can never perish, spoil, or fade. So why is this inheritance that you have in Christ? All the promises he has and th these inheritances of your future, uh, where you're going to spend eternity in heaven, the, the promise that he will always be with you, all of those inheritance things that everything Jesus has, I get to share in that because I'm in him. And so where Jesus sits, I sit. Where Jesus gets to experience and enjoy, I get to ultimately experience that and enjoy that too. And so there's this beautiful thing. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And again, imagine how you would face those stressful things. Again, there are hard days. I'm not saying they're easy days. But imagine just the calmness and peace that says, you know what? This is one of those things that's going to perish and spoil and fade. And so I'm not going to exhaust myself worrying. I'm not going to exhaust myself chasing something that's only going to kill me in the end. Or I'm going to lose in the end anyway. I'm going to hold on to this, this inheritance that I have so poise comes from our inheritance. Poise, number three, also comes from his power. There's this sense in which one of the most frustrating things in life is when we feel powerless, right? When we feel like all these things are going on around me, maybe within me, and I am powerless to do anything about them. But that's not what this verse is promising us. This verse is promising us that Satan, although he wants to blind you and makes you feel spiritually impotent so that you can never change, you can never serve, you can never step out, but that's a lie because Paul reminds us again in verses 19 and 20 of his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same. And again, he uses, just keeps unpacking the descriptive words, his mighty strength, strength that he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus and then he seated him. Uh, again, this great power at work. And I think one of the hardest steps for us to take is that God, I am not powerless over the sin. I'm not powerless in this habit. I'm not powerless when things are hard. There is this power available to me. Now, it's not my power. It's his power working in me and through me. And so I've got to be able to learn and to trust and, and to obey and follow and, and allow him to do that. So there's a hope. There's inheritance. Poise comes from his power. Poise also, I think, comes ultimately from Christ's authority. That's where Paul finishes this whole thing by just saying, hey, there's this incredibly powerful dude 
who sits in heaven now. Everything's under his feet. There's not a nook and cranny on the face of this earth that he isn't over, he isn't bigger than, he will ultimately defeat all enemies. And as a child of God, you get to know that dude. And his name is Jesus. And because he sits in authority, I don't have to live my days frantic. I can have a poise about me because Jesus is in a place of authority. And so I can have a calmness and a confidence about me. And, and one last thing, I would say this. I think that poise comes from seeing kingdom potential. There's that little phrase at the end of this that is just keeps blowing my mind. And in fact, I've, I've really wrestled with it because it's, it's almost discouraging to see it because there's this potential there. It's like, but God, how do we tap into this potential when it says that, that Christ is seated over all and, and especially over his church and that's where his fullness dwells. And so we gather each week and we do churchy things and sometimes we just go through routines. And, but yet what Paul is saying is that his church, his body, not the building, his people, is where he wants to pour all of his fullness into so that that fullness will then go everywhere that those people go. So everywhere you go, God wants to pour his fullness into you so that his fullness goes with you to your workplace, to your home, to your school, into this community, around this community. Everywhere you go, he wants his fullness to be poured into you. And Paul, I just can't think, keep, 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 keep from thinking that as Paul looked at all the things that the church had done since he left in the 10 years and new churches had been planted all around Asia Minor and, and new people had come to know the Lord, he just kept seeing the kingdom potential when God's people, when Christ's people just allow that fullness to fill them. And they begin to live out of that Christ-centered worth. And they begin to live with this Christ-centered pose full of hope and, and just trust and calmness and contentedness in Christ. And there's this power that they allow to transform them and, and engage them and, and take them, allow them to take risks that were difficult sometimes. And so where does poise comes from? It's all this potential that what God could do and, uh, in us and through us as we follow him. And so Paul prays for our eyes to be open because as I look at that and I hold that up to my frantic days sometimes and I think, man, I wish I was more like that. But why am I not more like that? It's because oftentimes my eyes are distracted like Elijah's, Elisha's servant. I'm looking at all the things that I have to worry about and stew about instead of the Lord of angel armies that surrounds. We sometimes sing there's a song, the song that there's another in the fire and I forget that I'm not alone in Christ when I face everything that I face. And so my prayer for us today is simply this, that God, would you open my eyes to see the hope, the inheritance, and the power, and the potential that are mine, that is ours in and through Christ. And so I'm gonna ask us now if we could pray that prayer. Would you pray with me, please?